loving God, you are the eternal present. You are right here, exactly right now. We are in the center of you, like a fountain that keeps water gushing outward. That is time constantly gushing forward, but when you're right in the center, we're at the place where it starts to to move outward, that's where we are right now with you, is in the present moment with each other, with a sense of unity and love connected with you, who is unity and love. We thank you for this gathering and for these weeks that we've been spending time and delving deeper into this great mystery of unity and love, universal Christ. And please be with us during this last talk. Amen. All right. Well, um, <clears throat> oftentimes when, we, when I do this kind of thing at the very end is we do what I like to call a reflect uh, question and and response. It's not question and answer because I don't have the answers, neither does anybody else. But I can provide my best response based on where I'm at and where you guys are, you know, where we're all at because everybody's in a different different places, you know, as part of that beautiful diversity. And if something comes up and we want to spend a little bit more time on it, then it can just open us up right into a dialogue. So this is going to be much more free-flowing. I have no screens to, to share our slides to share because we're going to be actually just talking about what's on your hearts. So based on um, the past few weeks that we've connected and delved into, um, has anything emerged from you that has intrigued you or challenged you or uh, helped you to grow or things that you'd like to explore more? thing that I have like in my notes that I really really like okay I think this illustration where I think it's liminal is that the word or liminal space where you were mentioning how I feel like kind of, uh, that resonated with me it's kind of like you cannot grab onto something new until you let go of the old you which is so true in life like sometimes we're just holding on to something so strong because we feel like it's the safe place but then you were just saying how when you go through that space and then you enter a new room then you just realize the other one was like way too small for you <laughs> but you have to go through the actual process of letting go and i feel that happens to me a lot like i'm just grasping to the things that i believe i know like my experience whatever and just like holding on to it like my knowledge my ways and my plans and then it's just like i will not be able to grab new things until i don't let go of it so it's just like i that i really like that even the illustration is just because you were also saying like once you're in the new room it's just a constant change it's not like you will stay the new room forever like eventually you will realize it's also too small so you will keep changing and changing so i that's something I really, really like. And the question for me was like, what's kind of like a practice that I can have 
like to constantly be doing that like letting go and just dying to self and just realizing okay yeah that's enough like no holding to that oh my gosh what a gorgeous question and it really speaks to the depth of your own spirituality but also that you're taking what we're talking about and and resonating at a very deep level so thank you for the the courage to even ask that question and um that's that's transformation right understanding the old room and the new room is like really transformation every day right so I'm going to say a couple of things to to reflect on what your question was. And then I would ask, I'll open it up and ask anybody to share. Because um, I think all of us would probably have some neat things. What I would say is first, life itself will teach you everything you need to know about how to stay in, how, how to be in liminal space. Um, because if we're listening to life and what I mean by that is every single day um, really the more you get into this the, it's really every moment is is all packaged up like God, what God does I mean let's, let's, let's just put it to you this way let's say everything that you would ever need to know about life um, about love God everything is given to you every second God gives you this like constant, okay? It's not that that is not coming to us. Those lessons are not coming to us. They are every second. But we are only ready for what we're ready for. And and that is a that's the transformation. It's not that um, it's really what we're being transformed into is greater and greater vision of what has always been there. See, and so that's why you can have people, let's say, who are they don't have they don't need a lot of material things or they're not attached to anything and they're just full of love and they really do believe that every moment is a moment of joy and peace even during the hard times they can find um, beautiful depth and reasoning purpose joy even in the really hard times that's because they have learned to open up their eyes big enough to be able to enjoy this consciousness of being in God all the time but oftentimes what we have to do is life like let's just pretend that God is giving you this all all everything you ever need 100% of the time is giving it to you every second but you only get a little bit of it so what God does is then stands I'm making this up it stands behind you with a big net and gathers all the lessons you didn't get and then repackages them <laughs> and then throws it in front of you <laughs> so then you you come and then you hit it again and you get a little bit more and then God's like okay and then tosses it in front of you boom um, until it happens where you and God are walking hand in hand and just like okay God you're giving me this right now and right now and right now so what that's what I mean by life is going to present it to you like today right now today you're going to get lots of lessons if your eyes are open to it you're going to get lots of lessons that will speak to old room um, and liminal space and what you would like to the new room to be like you're using your imagination what would that look like like all of that is going to be available today if you're open to it number two 
is sometimes we have to have training on this kind of seeing. And the best kind of training I've ever experienced is a thing called centering prayer. Centering prayer. And it was um, reformulated. It, it, it was an ancient type of prayer. Some people say that even Jesus is, actually did it himself. But then it was reformulated uh, by a, a monk named Tra uh, Thomas Keating, who was a very good friend of Richard Rohr. <laughs> and Thomas Keating and then other monks after him created this thing this uh it's a very easy way to get into the present moment called centering prayer i um will send you a link to the apps because there's apps that you can download on either android or iphone just called centering prayer i think it's what it's called but it's basically four steps and that's it and it's going to sound super easy but 99% of the people that I've ever explained this to never do it because it's the boredom of it feels it doesn't stimulate our brain and so we, we drop it. But what centering prayer is, is first you have what's called a sacred word. A sacred word. And a sacred word can be anything that you have that brings you back. It's like an, an anchor that brings you back to the present moment. But it's, it can't be something so meaningful that you end up focusing upon the word. So it's it's a tricky little thing. <laughs> and that's why it's, it's important for you to find a word that would um, be helpful for that. And uh, what, what you gotta do is you have to like my word that I use, and it can change over time, but that it's usually, you usually are supposed to do it one word for a long time until you feel a need to change it. And you may never. But that is, um, choose, my, my word has been space. Not like outer space, but space, like space between thoughts. And when I say space, like to myself, it brings me right back into the present moment which is really awesome. Yeah. Um, the second thing you have to do is you time yourself. And you time yourself for, they, they say a minimum of 20 minutes at first. Because our brains, like 20 minutes is kind of a magic number, um, brain-wise. And if you do 20 minutes, then it can be long enough to start... Um, letting your mind grow like mm -hmm. firing it's like exercise yeah you you know you're not you don't hear have exercise we'll just go do that for you know 15 10 minutes it's usually 20 minutes or up isn't it mm -hmm. good so st same thing with our brains and that's that's because it's about um the cells and the neurons and all of that so then what we want to do is um sit comfortably with your eyes closed and and I'll, I'll again I'll send you these these guidelines so you don't have to just concentrate on it too much but it's sent comfortably with your eyes closed and you gently introduce the word the sacred word and it and this is beautiful it's it's a symbol of your consent to God's presence and action within it's a symbol whatever word you choose is a symbol 
of your consent to God's presence and action within. God's presence everywhere and inside you and action everywhere and inside you. It's a consent form, if you will. Now, when you are engaged with a thought, so this is step three, when you're engaged with a thought, you just return gently back to your sacred word. Just return gently back to your sacred word. And here's the thing, it'll happen every second. Because you and I just think constantly. And the brain, that's the way the brain is. It's just a constant thinking. And it and it's gonna feel like these thoughts will come and it'll be like hooks grabbing, like you're a, a fish and it's just grabbing you for your attention. And pretty soon you're starting to think about you know, what you're going to have a conversation today or start fantasizing about a conversation you should have had or, (laughs) and then you've lost it, the present moment. So the point of, of this whole exercise, now this is probably the most important thing about this exercise. Okay. The point of actually the exercise itself is not to do meditation well, to actually create that space because you're not going to be able to, I'm going to tell you, you're going to lose. You're going to be amazed at how well you can't even keep space between thoughts. But that's not the point. The point is actually to learn how to detach and return. Detach from the thought and return. So you're building, you're building a muscle. It is like boot camp. You're building a muscle of detachment and returning to the center. And then what happens is you do this over and over again every day. Um, and your neurons start activating a little bit differently and you'll find that you're able to detach and return during the course of your day. When, when normally you would be just like hooked line and sinker around a thought or a hurt or a pain or a joy or whatever it is, that something in the future in the past, you're no longer if you, you can catch yourself more quickly and then you're really able to return into the present moment of the eternal now. Okay. Yeah. And the reason why I want to offer this practice to you is because this is center. This is liminal space living. Centering prayer is an exercise of liminal space because it feels like nothing. You're not dialoguing with God. You're not asking God for this thing or that thing. You're not praying for anybody. You're not, um, ima- we're not even saying you should imagine or use visionary things or repeat any sayings for the sayings themselves. The only reason why you're repeating the, the sacred word is to bring you back into nothing. And you're gonna emerge feeling, I didn't, nothing happened. Like that was so boring and it took way too long and oh my God. But here's the thing, after a while, it's going to be like getting into a pool where you're just relaxed. It's going to feel so wonderful. Just this moments of silence and returning and letting go and returning. And that is the liminal space. And so that's why it is recommended. And when you do that, then you're also able to simultaneously enjoy the present moment more, like we talked about right before that. 
So, um, centering so prayer. Any, anybody have any thoughts? You know, my pastor, he, um, he is really a successful man outside of practicing this pastor. He writes books and stuff, but he said one of the most powerful things he's ever done for really the last like 15 years is he spends 60 minutes every single day with his eyes closed, with no phone, no emails. He'll have a pen and paper just in case. And I'm like, for 60 minutes. He said he used to be 90 and he had to cut it down because he got so busy, but like, it's pretty powerful. So, I don't know, I believe what you're saying. <laughs> and the difference and, between what I'm saying and what the, the pen and paper stuff is, is even when you get these kinds of illuminations, like, yeah. oh my God, I gotta, you gotta yeah. let that go too. You gotta let it go, right? That's right. Because it's really about being yeah. in presence. We have to learn yeah. how to be present. But I love yeah. the fact that he did that. I used to wake up at 4.30 in the morning so I could do an hour of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, when, when I think about doing something like that and cry is more when I realize that you get into this quiet time and it's when you hear this little voice that you think is your brain, but you get the voice that I call it God's voice because as Mariana said, it's a aha, right? And then that moment is like, you're so busy, so busy, but if you go to that space, everything is there all the answers are there and then it's weird yeah but it's hard it is hard that's right yeah and the answers even deeper than any answer you get to a certain problem the answer is going to be silence i mean think of it this way you guys if you like to listen to music the only reason why you and i can enjoy music is because they are individual notes that are held up and spaced out by silence. Think about that. For example, um, even the fact that you and I are understanding each other right now is because my syllables, my words, are there's, there's silence. The, even its smallest little pits of silence that create syllables, and that's how you can understand me. But if I were to talk to you without any silence, it would sound like this. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Because there would be no, there's absolutely zero silence. Mm -hmm. So silence, like what you and I would think of as music or, or any manifestation, music, sound, things that we see, things that we experience, we only see and experience and smell and hear these things because of the silence that's behind it holding yeah, it up yeah so centering prayer gets you into that it's so interesting because sometimes at least in my case i sometimes associate silence with like distance like uh, like not a positive tone at the end so it's it's interesting and this whole curse it's been like flipping all these ideas that I preconceived ideas that I have like like one silence silence it's not not like it doesn't need to be something bad in fact it's something good and needed a lot of times I Same, love like, instead, of, instead of like usually when I think like if, if to get better it's like like even I I can visualize myself like like going up going above like 
but but here in the, in this course it's like go deep dig deeper like so it's the opposite so for me it's been like eye-opening everything and um and it's very interesting um i always relate everything that i learned to to my parenthood part that in my daughter it's in a montessori school and the philosophy behind everything is to teach children to focus for longer periods of time and they need to be silent and they need to be working and they need to focus even yeah. if it's 30 seconds next tomorrow it's going to be 31 and so they will increase so it's just interesting how these great philosophies at the end they still have a lot of things in common so for me it's been eye-opening the whole experience that's that's wonderful thank you for sharing that that's beautiful that's the point Mm -hmm. Yeah, as Richard Rohr says, if it's true, if whatever we say is true, then it needs to be. It's got to be true everywhere. It can't just be true in this thing here, but not true there. And when something is true, capital T, you're going to see it in a hundred different directions. You know, places you didn't even ex expect it to. You're going to be like, that's the same teaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, for me, it has been an eye-opening thinking that God is inside, really. I already knew it, but instead of outside. So we need to, to be aware more that it's not a guy outside, it's not something outside. When it's the creation, it's right there, but at the same time, you are part of the creation and it's the unity. It's like, we're not separate. We're not separated of anything. So it's kind of this like energy that is like just a block like this, and all of us, we're part of this one. Yeah, in fact, I don't know if I've shown you, um, did I show you guys this before? Oh, that was my favorite when I was little. I had like 10 of them, <laughs> and I had the giant one too that was bigger than your whole body. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my favorite toy ever. This right what here is, is my favorite toy. Uh, it, it's my actual, it, for me, this is my theology. Like This right here is actually a, the, a theological um, symbol. Let me show you why. Because it, and it's based on what um, we've been talking about. Okay, so let's pretend that the top of this this is called a Hoberman sphere. A Hober H O B E R Hoberman H O B E R M A N sphere. So let's pretend like this right up. This right here is one of you. This is me. This is your partners. Your kids. Whatever. And each one of these little spokes that come out are like different people. And it's true, my experience is not the same as your experience and vice versa. But if you go down and in, and I go down and in, and we start to uncover the truth of liminal space and the cycling of, of transformation, and what has been true for you that has allowed you to love more, it's going to often be true for me that has allowed me to love more and the more and more we see and and under enjoy uh god right here and now inside us around us then if you i don't know if you can see it but there's a it's kind of a red protrusion it's like a red ball in the center I don't, can you see that yeah mm -hmm. and that oh my gosh, the anticipation is killing me doug will you open it <laughs> oh now i've got all the power <laughs> But look, you, you, you speak like a dog, like a dog was like, you're like talking and I'm like, okay, let's go. I'm like, can you open the ball? Um, but, uh, 
but think of this way, like this is the body of Christ, all right? So the body of Christ is the center area, and we are all coming from the body of Christ, but our deepest self is one self, is Christ. And what is the body of Christ if it's not the body of God? This is what, if God had a shape, this is what God's shape would be. That it's a sphere that has no limitations. Uh-oh. Oh, okay. Um, my uh, camera, there we go. It was a sphere that has no limitations. And notice this too, that the colors are different. You see, and there's waves. So here's an interesting thing is that unity, which is unity, right? Unity is not uniformity where everything is the same. Unity is diversity. So diversity, diversity, um, which is protected and maintained by love. So you and all of us, we are diverse and we're one. And thank God, because, you know, we want to have you. Each one of us has a gift and a perfect exact gift that only you can bring. Only you. And me, too. And yet we're still one body. And that's as Christian as you get. I mean, that's as orthodox Christian as you possibly get. That's that's St. Paul in the Bible. We are one body. On the other hand, um, it's a beautiful thing to really see it in this toy. And I, so I've got, I always, I always buy about four of them every year and I give them away um, or, well, they break because they break kind of easy. But yeah, this is a good one. This is, this is the whole theology right here of the universal Christ. In fact, I gave this to Richard Rohr um, and he put it, he uses it from time to time actually um, to, to explore that. So because it's a good symbol. I do have a question. Mm -hmm. um, so with, we talk a lot about love, right? Jesus is love, God's love, loves everywhere, right? And then, but you have this concept too of us having the obligation as Christians to be disciples, mm -hmm. right? Bring people to Christ. Now, don't know so it's like this balance trying to find this balance of you know just showing everybody love but then also at some point you have to tell you know people well the way you're going is wrong <laughs> and this is the way you need to go this is the only way and this is the only truth you know um so that's why it's hard for me sometimes taking this whole concept of just god and love and the universe but then how do we how do we save people's souls there's more maybe unsaved and then there are saved maybe I don't know the statistics um, but that's the balance that I try to always have is this balance between love but truth okay does that work for you um, I feel like yeah maybe not in some friendships recently that's never happened to me before but the stronger I've grown in my faith a couple people I'm not friends with that's never happened but um but other people yeah I think so not that I've done anything wrong or bad but my lifestyle has changed and things change and people just keep going on their same what I think is their same not good path and I'm 
focus on what I think is Jesus following Jesus. Um, anyways, I think discipleship is extremely challenging. Um, but sounds like you will maybe have a perspective of no Allegra, it's so simple, right? Um, well, my, but, yeah. my perspective would be different from yours um, at the surface level and pretty similar at the deeper level. Um, at the surface, and so I'm hesitant to share what my particular perspective is because I don't want to put my faith template on people and say like this is how you do it because mm-hmm. that, that's that's not what I mean as a counselor that's not what I do and, and certainly sure. not as a pre- presenter um, so all I can do is invite people to say well is it leading you to see other people more in a more complex non-judgmental love way and I think that um, there are certain ways to understand theology that are true, but they're not the more comprehensive truth. So for example, man, forgive me if I've said this here, really, um, sometimes I repeat myself and I don't know where I've said things, but let's say you had a three-year-old daughter, okay, and you have a park across the street from your house. And so, um, did I say this already? Oh, okay. So you have a three-year-old daughter, you have a park across the street, and you say to her, ooh, let's go to the park. And she's, ooh, let's go. And so you open up the door, and she just, she bolts out, runs across the yard, runs across the street without looking, and gets to the park, and is like, mama, mama, let's go. And you're like, oh, snap. Nope. Um, This is going to be a life lesson. I'm going to bring her back. We're going to do this right because uh, she needs to be protected from her lifestyle, if you will, of just running across the street without looking because she could get herself really hurt. You see? So let's say then you grab her hand and you bring her back across the street and then you, you... now you're standing facing the park and the street is right in front of you. Can you all picture that in your mind? Okay. And you're holding her hand and you look down on her and you say to her, because she's three, you say, never, ever, ever go across the street without holding my hand or daddy's hand. Do you understand, Sophia? You know, or do you <laughs> never, ever, ever, ever do this because this is not right. You will hurt yourself and you need to always wait for mommy and poppy. All right. And then she's like, okay. And then you walk across the street, you stop and you model and you walk across the street and you get to the other side and everything's cool. And then when you come back, she remembers she's waiting for your hand because you had said that. And then you guys stop and look together and then go. Now she's three years old. You said never, ever, ever. And you were very stern about it. Did you actually mean never, ever, ever? No, you didn't actually mean never, ever, ever, because you as the adult have a concept of development and evolution of, of mind, of maturity, to know that she will be able 
maybe in three years, you know, to go across the street without any problems because she will have learned that to internalize that value for herself and then make, make a decision to go across the street. All right. But did I lie? Because I said never, ever, ever. And I was real strong about it. But I know I didn't mean never, ever, ever. So that's a weird thing. Um, and she understands me as never, ever, ever. But I have a larger picture. So that's what I mean is, is that what I told her wasn't, it was a truth. It was absolutely a truth. And inside of itself, it's, there's logic there's protection, there's love, but that truth belongs into a larger truth, which I will know, I already know, even as I told her never go, I already know that there will come a time, not too long from now, when I'm gonna trust you to go by yourself, okay? My experience with um, denominations, Christian denominations, because that's my background, is that there are Christian denominations, usually formed by a pastor because of the pastor's experience or some school of thought that will align with the three-year-old never, ever, ever. And they're going to tell you black and white exactly how to think. This is how you do it. This is how you don't do it. And maybe it was appropriate for a certain time. But to stay there your entire life is being stuck you're always going to be three-year-old then there are other denominations and the way they talk is going to be a little bit more above that in terms of understanding stuff and and there's these hierarchy of truths that that are transcend that include the one that you just trans and then trans so it's include and transcend include the truth and transcend include the truth and transcend so having said that um, I, I think that Christianity um, has tried the whole let's convert people in, into denominations, uh, you know, let's, let's make disciples out of people and convert them and show them they're wrong and show them who Jesus is. I think we've done that and it's yeah. not worked. It doesn't work. Yeah. It, it doesn't work and it doesn't, it's not, it's a manipulative fear-based judgmental thing the exact thing that Jesus said not to do so it doesn't work and then you talk to somebody like a pastor is like well no you do because here's this Bible verse and here's this Bible verse and then they'll say and I love you and that's why I want to see you in heaven forever and I'm gonna that's why I'm gonna be really strong okay that's a truth inside many other truths that they're not seeing so the way I understand the whole thing about Christianity and about discipleship and all of that is my vision of Christianity is so broad that it says this um, when Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life or when Jesus said no one comes to the Father except through me you know what I think Jesus was saying is no one go comes to the new room except through the cross of your life. No one comes to more expanded vision of themselves, of their world, of life, of God, except through dying 
to yourself, dying to your previous way of understanding life so that you can have a broader vision. So I think Jesus is the human symbol of the dying principle. And then God is the symbol of the rising principle. And the Holy Spirit is the symbol of the evolution that keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. See? So, therefore, to make disciples of all of the nations is to affirm the one path. And the one path is dying and rising. Dying and rising. And I have known more agnostics, more atheists, more uh, Buddhists, more Hindus. I have known more um, Wiccans, whatever you want to call it, who are way more Christian than Christians. Yeah. And, and so like, uh, because when you look at their life, their whatever they whatever their belief system is has brought them to it to living liminal space with a sense of wholeness and integrity um, where they can trust the benevolence of a larger transcendent reality even as they're suffering in the middle of it and that right there what i just said is the christian message that's the gospel all wrapped up with a bow so discipleship is to affirm people's paths um, when they are letting go of things that create for them distractions, pain. Like, for example, here's an example. Um, on a super fundamentalist Christian level, I might say to a client who's a kid, let's say the kid is, I don't know, 17, um, who's smoking pot every single day. Now, I don't know any fundamentalist Christian who thinks pot isn't a sin. I don't. I'm not saying I, I think that, but I think many many christians like pot absolutely a sin or drinking absolutely a sin you know total going to hell sin kind of thing um then i could say that to them and it's like i'm gonna scold you and just like your parents and we're gonna stop you from doing this does that ever really lead to transformation i've never experienced it leading to transformation for people but um what if I were to say to that 17-year-old, trusting their own experience? Remember last week, I believe it was last week, we talked about the tricycle and the big wheel of experience. And then you have the two back wheels um, are going to be things like scripture or tradition or you know whatever kind of works for your understanding of theology. But the big wheel in front is um, experience. So what if I trust experience in this 17 year old? Because why? Because she's a human being. And I know what it's like to be a human being because I happen to be one too. And I'm trying to be really present in this human process where I know how much I get pulled into a gravity of thoughts or worldview or something that brings me into anxiety or deep depression or a lack of perspective. I know what that feels like because I'm constantly feeling that at, if I'm not, that, that's, that's the constant noises in my head and then I'm, I detach from that and come back in the center. So let's say I say to that 17 year old, 
with compassion, I'll say, man, you are really, I can see that you're suffering from anxiety every day for you to choose to do this. And she's like, oh my God, yeah, that's exactly right. Tell me about the anxiety. So then we start to talk about the anxiety. You know, all of a sudden it's not, I'm looking at the pot use as a self-medication as opposed to a sin. And then I say, well, let me ask you a question. Do you, after, you know, if you were to measure up all of the cons, like pros and cons, if you were to measure up all the cons to pot smoking for you, and then all the pros to the pot smoking for you, um, let's be honest, like what, what weighs more, like if you were to weigh them, you know? And almost every single time, somebody would say, when I ask them that question, with no judgment, I'm not even asking them to change their behavior. I'm just getting them to see, the, you know, to feel. And, and they would say, honestly, at first I feel more relaxed, but then I don't like how I'm always numbing out. I don't like how I feel paranoid a lot of times. Um, and, and I'll ask them, well, like, how are your grades? Oh, yeah, they suck since I started smoking. And how does it feel when you have really bad grades? I mean, how, do you, how, does, that make, how does that help your anxiety? Oh, it doesn't. It's horrible. So what I'm hearing you say then is that even though you're using pot maybe to help you with anxiety, it actually creates more anxiety. Yeah, I never thought about that. Well, what do you want to do about that? You see, so what I've just done is I've given them the gospel. That is the gospel. That is choosing life, choosing wholeness, and I never once said Jesus. And if they can learn to die, die, entre uh, comillas, like die on the cross of wanting to break that habit and then weathering the, the not smoking pot because they are choosing what they're for versus, oh, it's a sin, I should stop. I'm for the freedom of not smoking. I'm for the freedom of, of not feeling that much anxiety. When they can choose that, that is a disciple of Christ. That is a disciple of the path, the one way, because it's brought them into a greater sense of wholeness and awareness. And I haven't even ever said God, because a lot of them aren't. They've rejected their religion of their family of origin. Why? They probably should have, because it was very shame-based. Yeah, and judgy, yeah. Why wouldn't... That happens to me when I, when I decided to maybe see a bigger picture and I start feeling guilty not being in certain denominations. I'm allowed like God's love being every denomination, every human being. It was hard at the beginning because you're so attached to this church or this building or this type of music and you're like, I'm living something and then you go to liminal space thinking, oh, but it's, it's beautiful that now I don't feel this, this, uh, you know, like boxing my face. Yeah. You know, Allegra, I'm just going to share it. This kind of helps me at least like to have this mindset with um, a lot of my loved ones who are kind of stuck in that pattern of destruction, if you will, is that um, like God is outside of time and space, right? We know that. And like he has his own timeline for people, right? And so where they are presently is not an indication of who they are as a whole person or what their journey is. And so sometimes I tend to see them, their behaviors or their actions that I disagree with or 
their own self-destructive things um, in the present moment and that that's their life, that they're destroying their life. But God has such a bigger picture and it allows me to enter into empathy and like almost like, almost like appreciative of the journey that they're, they're on, right? Because we all are on one and I can really kind of center into that loving space um, to just do what I can to, sh- to see Christ in them presently um, because it's like we learn in our book, Christ is everywhere, even in dark places. Um, so, and maybe connect with them on that level and understanding this is a bigger picture that maybe today this is where they are, but it doesn't mean that in five months, five years, 50 years, they're going to be in the same place. And listen, I'm not saying we don't set boundaries sometimes. No, no, no. You can't say to a kid who's being abused by their parents that this is okay. And go ahead, parents. You know, I want to just honor where you're at on your journey. You go ahead and beat your kid. No, I'm not. Or wife or whatever it is. I'm not saying that. Um, So it requires discernment. But if we are, if our theology, if our theology is based upon, I've got to get people on the Jesus team and they have to go through this particular formula of accepting Jesus, blah, you know, Lord and Master, and I have to um, critique their behavior because it's not conforming to what I think the Bible is saying. But remember, whatever you think the Bible is saying is your interpretation. Like we could, I, we could take different verses of the Bible, especially like homosexuality and stuff like that, and we could critique them to where you, you would see them in a completely different way. But you and I have, um, we interpreting the Bible based on where we are at and based on our culture's interpretation of it. But we're talking about a culture that was written in a different language and a different part of the world, different skin color, you know, Jesus wasn't white, and um, different religion and time. 2,000 years ago. I'm not saying there's not timeless truths there, but how do we understand them? Because the more broadly you start to see things, the less concrete they are and the more true they are at the same time. So, for example, a, a Buddhist could be a great Christian and never, ever say the word Jesus. If they've learned how to detach and go into their anchored self and, and see the world from the eyes of compassion, I mean, how is that not Christ? Being, being Christ to other people, you know? Um, so I just offer that because I, I, that might be where, I mean, your pastor would certainly push against that. And a lot, most pastors would, what I just said. You know, Allegra, we ever had a lot of like a challenge with bad things. And then we have a friend that he's a priest. And then he said, hey, what happened with someone that is amazingly beautiful person in his family, but maybe it's a Buddhist or maybe a Muslim. And this father, Rudy, looked at him and said, you know, they're already Christians, but they don't know. <laughs> and this is someone that gives more respect, theology guy, you know, Catholic, blah, blah, but he looked at him and said, don't worry about that. You know, if the heart is transformed, you know, it's not your job to judge or to change things. 
Yeah, because I think that there's a way the priest was understanding that all the world, every, every the world itself is going through the dying and rising process. And I think the word Christianity, Christianity means the follower of Christ, right? And if we follow, notice Jesus never one time said, worship me. I'm not saying don't worship Jesus. I'm just saying notice that Jesus never one time said, worship me. It just says, follow me. Follow me. So a Christian is someone who follows the path of dying and rising. That's it. A Christian is someone who operates from the anchored self and you know you're around them, whether whether their superficial title is Buddhist or atheist or agnostic or whatever it is, uh, their deeper self, if, if you know you're around a Christian as when they are operating from this great mystery of dying and rising and they can love life as it is, even if they need to set boundaries, but there's always a sense of connectedness and joy in the present moment. So Doug, do you believe that certain people will go to hell? I don't believe that there is a eternal hell. I don't. No. Um, what I believe is that based on a lot of different reasons, um, first okay. off, the, our concept of hell is very much- Or not to heaven, let's put it that way. Well. Again, I, I don't believe our concept of heaven and hell is very much about our um, interpretation in the Western Hemisphere at a certain time. And it wasn't what the original Christians understood as heaven and hell. For example, have you ever heard of the, the fires of Gehenna? You know, you're, you're, you're going to get cast out into the fires where the, yeah. where the um, fire never quenches. Would, would you understand that as hell? I mean, we would, right? Like we would hear that and we would understand that as hell, right? Yeah, the detailed descriptions in Revelations and some of the just crazy, beastly, weird things. Right, well, how about this? There really Go is on. a fire of Gehenna because Gehenna yeah. is a, an area outside of um, the immediate, immediate city of Jerusalem. It used to be outside of the temple wall. And that is okay. where they burn trash and it's okay. eternal because it's all that's the trash heap and so what happens whenever you are in liminal space you are burning is 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 liminal space a kind of burning yes liminal space is a burning of your old self into the new self is it not you know and like if you did something to experience a lot of shame doesn't shame feel like burn um, well, what is happening if we're able to live in liminal space well, our old way of seeing and doing things and living is being burnt up in the fires of Gehenna in the sense of that's trash. That's the, the chaff that's being burnt off to reveal the wheat or the gold being refined in the fire. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we die, I mean, I do believe in an eternal existence, absolutely. Um, I think that in our human existence here, I think is one phase of embodiment. But I think that when we die, um, we will continue to be in some kind of realm or some kind of something where we will constantly be 
given opportunity to grow more and more in our scope of understanding love. And I don't know what that looks like, but mm -hmm. it's a constant movement forward of understanding more and more love. And I think whatever consciousness that you have, that I have, when we die will be the level of consciousness that we will begin the afterlife with. And so here's an example. Like if you, if you really want to study up on this, um, and I got to go, I have a client at 12, but if you want to study up on this, I recommend um, studying near-death experiences. I mean, there's a lot of psychiatrists and, and like a whole lot of people are studying near-death experiences because what, despite religion, ethnicity, culture, gender, all of that stuff, from all over the world, people are having very similar experiences. Um, and they're coming back to report on them. And it's uncanny how, how connected a lot of people's stuff is. But what we found is that people who die at a level of, like, I'm saying generalities, um, at a level of high love and seeing here, um, when you die, that's what you're going to experience. That's, the, that's like you're going to grad school, <laughs> okay? And then you start grad school and whatever that is. But if, if my Christianity is fundamentalist and rigid and shaming, even though I did it in the name of Jesus or whatever, then when I die, I'm going to be at that frequency of consciousness that's going to attract other people, like birds of a feather flock together. So I'm going to be, I'm going to attract other people and together we're going to create a world that is going to feel right. There's going to be a white picket church fence with a mean pastor and until people start to wake up and say, this can't be it. And so it's a slow process and who knows, I mean, it's of all of eternity to do it. Um, and what we believe as Christians is that the fullness of the one infinite creator um, emerged in time in a human body. Like that's that's the, the fullness of it. But you know, there's an infinite amount of time to, to get there and you'll never get there. So the, the journey is actually the point. Yeah. Anyway, that's a lot of food for thought. I mean, we could go on for a long time, but I wanna say to all of you, I just so much enjoyed uh, this time. And I just thank you for for trusting our, our process here and inviting me in. Karen, thank you so much.